so we're in Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 44 today. We're going to close out chapter 4. Uh, and, and as, just, just if you would, just go ahead and get out your Bible, turn there. We're, I'm not putting the verses on the screen anymore, the ones I'll refer to throughout the sermon so that you don't have to turn, I will. But, but we long for people to be in the Word. And so uh, as a part of that, I just want you to become familiar with your Bibles. And so uh, please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 4 so that you can follow along with the reading, so you can underline, so you can jot notes down, so you can, as the Lord speaks to you and reveals things to your Word, to you through his word, I would just encourage you, write in your Bible, make a, make a monument of that and, and so that you can remember it later. Uh, if you like electronics and uh, want to follow along, we have a version live event. You can follow along with the scripture and the notes there. I would, I would appreciate it or encourage you to do that if that's your, if, 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 you, if you appreciate that kind of thing, if you like that kind of thing. Now, as you're turning, let me just kind of set the stage for what we're about to go into. So, so Jesus has just been run off. He's just been, he's just been uh, run off out of his hometown. Like his hometown crew said, we don't like you. It wasn't that they didn't like what he had to say. It wasn't like that they didn't like what he came to do. They didn't like that he said he was the one that was going to accomplish it. It was, it was more about a rejection of the man himself. And, and so they attempted throwing him off a cliff, and he passes through. We don't know that there was a miracle performed in that necessarily. It's hard for me to imagine that there wasn't some sort of miracle, some expression of power as he passes through their midst and, and they are unable to get him off the cliff. I, I don't know exactly how that worked out. But what we know is, is that he leaves there and he goes on. He, he continues on his way, continues in his mission. And to this point, we, we've seen some pretty important things that need to be in our mind as we study the passage today. To this point, we've heard a lot of people talking about Jesus. We've heard angels talking about Jesus. We've heard God himself from heaven speak about who Jesus is. We've heard Jesus even make claims of his own identity. And we've heard Jesus even make claims about what he's come to do. In fact, if you think back on the passage that we've been studying the last couple of weeks, he came preaching to the to the poor, proclaiming good news to the poor, proclaiming liberty to the captives, proclaiming freedom from oppression and, and, um, and sight for the blind. He came proclaiming this good news to people who were desperately in need, and he came to them to, to give them hope and to give them something to look forward to. The, the thing is, is that as he preached this message, Jesus had something deeper in mind than just our physical situation. He certainly was concerned about their physical situation. He would affect their physical situation. But, but, but it went deeper. You see, Jesus wasn't just to come and change our physical situation, physical circumstances. He was come to, to defeat sin and death. And that would be marked, that would be demonstrated through what he would do in our physical circumstances. But as he came preaching that, as he came uh, professing that that's who he was and what he had come to do, we see him face off against Satan. We, we see him tempted against by Satan. We see him, see him facing off against the, the, the chief demon himself and Satan tempting him and exercising his power, seeking to make Jesus fall, and Jesus wins. Like Jesus comes out unscathed, didn't even enter his mind, no desire in his flesh to to bow to Satan or obey Satan or fall to any of the temptations that Satan presented him. And in that, we see Jesus qualified to do what he came to do. We see that he is qualified. We see his character demonstrate. We see his righteousness revealed. We see that he truly is able or truly is qualified 
to come and be our sinless Savior. And that's what Luke has shown us to this point. But if we're going to be confident, as he is helping Theophilus become confident, if we're going to be confident in the way that Luke longs for us to be confident, if we're going to be certain in this man Jesus, then we're going to have to answer another question. And we're presented with that question in the text today. We're presented with the answer to the question. We see he's qualified. We see he's called. I mean, God spoke from heaven about what he was coming to do. We see what Jesus made claims of. We, we see his calling and his character, but is he capable? Is he able not just to live sinlessly, but to defeat sin and death? Is he able to live sinlessly and provide a sinless reality for us? Is he, oh, is he able, is he powerful enough, is he able to not just live it himself, but provide it for us? That's a big question. There's a lot of us that are able to do things for ourselves that we couldn't ever comprehend doing for other people. Is Jesus able to do more than just for himself? Is he powerful enough? Is he, is he capable of doing this? As we read today, I think you're going to see that, the, well, I don't think, I know, you'll see the answer to that question is yes. And, and I hope that that doesn't spoil anything for you, right? I think, I, I hope you already knew that the, the answer to that question is yes, he is capable is, he is powerful enough to win against Satan for himself and for us. But, but I want you to pay attention in this because this capability breaks itself out in two perspectives, two ways, his power and his authority. If he is going to be capable of accomplishing this mission, if he is able to do this, he is going to have to have the power to do it and the authority. And that's what we see Luke demonstrating for us. In fact, that's really the main point of the message. That's the big idea, and you're going to hear it demonstrated out over and over in a number of different ways. And so let me just go ahead and and, and give that to you. Let me say it for you so that you've got it in your mind as we begin to read. Jesus has authority to save his people from sin and death, and he has the power to complete the task. He has authority to do it, and he has power to complete it. And we're going to see that demonstrated over and over as we read today. Luke chapter 4, verse 31 through 44. And he went down to Capernaum in a city in Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching. For his word possessed authority. And I want to stop right there. So Jesus has just been, like the people in Nazareth had just attempted murder, and they had just tried to throw him off a cliff. He leaves Nazareth, and he goes about to 20 or 30 miles away to a city called Capernaum. Capernaum sits on the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's, a, it's a fishing town. It's a, it's a town where, uh, where people uh, ship goods out to the other side of the sea. It, it's it's a, a little central place for people to, to uh, begin to gather. and be. Uh, so it's, a, it's kind of an important city in that region. And it really becomes Jesus' hometown or his home base for his work there. So Jesus, we hear about him working in Capernaum quite a bit. And he does, he does a lot of things from there. He, he leaves from there and he comes back to there. And he, he does all, a, a lot of things around that area. And here is Jesus, he, as was his custom. He goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath. We know that from last week's text. It was his custom. He shows up in the synagogue. But he wasn't there just to take and, and just just to sit amongst the other people. He goes there as an act of mission, and he goes to teach. And so he begins to teach, and people are astonished because he teaches with authority. Jesus speaks based on his own standing. 
So here's, the, here's what it looked like for them in that day. So, so in that day, their rabbis or their teachers, that's what they call their, 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 their rabbis or their teachers, and they, they, would, they would teach, but they never said anything that was original or they, they never said anything of their own authority. They were always depending on a teacher that came before them. In fact, Rabbi Eliezer lived, in the four, lived 40 to 120 AD, like that's a long time ago. He was noted as disavowing novelty and saying this, nor have I ever in my life said a thing which I did not hear from my teachers. So they were used to hearing people teach, but they were used to hearing people say, it is said. This is what Rabbi so-and-so said. And so that's what they were used to. And here Jesus comes and Jesus does it different. You know, it'd be, so it'd be like this, and, and you're hearing, I mean, I, you come and you hear me preach and, 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 and you hear people teach from the Bible all the time. But our authority only extends so far as the Bible gives us, uh, us authority to teach or to speak. Like, I can't come to you with my opinion and expect you to accept it. I can't come to you and say, hey, I think this is a good idea if the Scripture doesn't lead us there, if the Scripture doesn't show us that. If the scripture shows it, if the scripture teaches it, I could come with with authority and say, hey, this is what the Bible says. This is what God's word says. We must submit to it. We must obey it. We must draw our lives in line with it. But without it, it's opinion. And it doesn't matter. But Jesus, on the other hand, Jesus comes and he's teaching and he's famous for saying things like, hey, you've heard it said, but I say. Like, he's turning the teachings of the day on their head. One of the most common ones is Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, over and over says this. He's, but, but he says one, one phrase that I think is probably the most commonly recognized one. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. You see, he took the Jewish teaching and the rabbinical teaching and and what they had interpreted from the Scriptures and what they had determined that they should do from the Scripture, but he turns it upside down and says, no, that's, that's not what we're saying. That's not what's right. He's teaching of his own authority. And they are astonished. They're blown away by this. This is part of why Jesus was so welcomed in the synagogues. He was so encouraged to preach when he would walk into these synagogues because they they were astonished by hearing what he had to say. But it wasn't just in their hearing that they heard the authority. As we'll see in what's about to happen, it was in the seeing the results. They're going to recognize his authority. They're going to recognize the power that he has, the authority that he has in seeing the results of his teaching. And so we go on in verse 32, or verse 33. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? What is this message? What is he saying? For with authority and power, he commands unclean spirits and they come out. He commands unclean spirits and they obey. And reports about him went out, in every, out into every place in the surrounding region. 
So we see Jesus. We're going to see four things laid out here as, as this happens. And, and, and this shows us the first. Jesus has power and authority to free captives and remove oppression. I want you to think back again. Think back to the, what he said he was coming to do. I've come to preach good news. I've come to preach good news to the, to the poor, to, the, to the spiritual, those who are in spiritual poverty. I've come to preach those who are oppressed. I've come to preach to those who are captives. I've come to preach good news to those who are blind. I've come to do these works. And, and here we see Jesus is able to do what he said he's come to do. He has power and authority to free captives and remove oppression. This is the first miracle we know for certain. This is the, 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 that Jesus did in Luke. I mean, it's not the first miracle Jesus did. It's, it's the first one we're certain of based on what Luke says. Well, we don't know that it was a miracle, him passing through people, but we know this is a, a miracle. It's the first of five things that he's going to, five miracles that he's going to work on the Sabbath, and eventually that would get him accused of sin. Eventually that would get him, uh, make people angry. But right now people are just so amazed at his authority and his power that they're just, they're just talking about it. They're astonished. They're moved. They're excited. And Jesus is teaching, and one of the men present that's there, he's, he's, he's possessed. Now, I don't want you to picture exorcists, the, the movie Exorcist or, or the exorcism of Emily Rose. I don't know if you watch those movies or not. Um, but, but I don't want you to picture any kind of Hollywood movie. But he's, this guy is not twisted and deformed. He's not eyes rolling back in, the, in his head. He's not spitting like pea green, uh, split pea soup on anybody. It's not, he's not doing any of that stuff. And he's standing in and among all of these people. And so far as we can tell, there is no evidence of demon possession until Jesus begins to teach. But his words hold so much power. His word holds so much authority that the demon couldn't stay silent. The demon was, 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 was drawn into a reaction, into a response. And so he says to him, he's like, what do you have to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? We learned some things in his reaction. In the, in the reaction of this demon, we, we learn that the demon knows who Jesus is. He, he had no doubt in his mind that God in flesh was standing there speaking. He didn't have to be convinced of, of Jesus' identity. He knew him. The demon knows that Jesus is more powerful than it is. That, that demon knows that... <laughs> He knows what's coming. He knows the destruction that's ahead of him. He knows that at the time that it arrives, that Jesus is leading the charge. And so he sees Jesus. He hears Jesus. And he's like, have you come to destroy us? Is this the time? You know, is, is this when it's going to happen? And he knows that Jesus holds authority over him. So Jesus speaks and the demon obeys. He doesn't negotiate. The one time we, we hear of a demon negotiating with Jesus was was on, you know, and he was, he was, it was a legion of demons, and they're like, hey, throw us into the pigs. That's the only negotiating that we see demons do with Jesus. But they still recognize that they were completely under his authority. They could only do what he said. And this demon doesn't negotiate. He doesn't try to make a way. He just seeks his own preservation. Have you come to destroy us? But he recognizes he is going to be under Jesus' authority. He is going to be required to obey. And it says that Jesus rebuked the demon. 
He didn't rebuke the man. He didn't, he didn't look at the man and, and, and condemn him further. He freed the man. He released the man from this possession, from this oppression, from this captivity. And he sent the demon on its way. The demon knew who Jesus was. He knew he was more powerful. He knew that, that he had an authority over him. But Jesus proved it. He didn't just leave the demon where he was. He didn't just let the man continue on his way. Jesus proved it. And by authority and with power, he demanded the demon to leave. And maybe out of spite, maybe out of, maybe out of some, some thought that, well, I'll show you, you know, as the demon leaves the man, he throws him on the ground. And the, but in the end, the man is okay. He's unharmed. By Jesus' authority and by Jesus' power, he is freed. So we, we see it. We see it here. Jesus has the authority to save his people from sin and death, and he has the power to complete the task. He has both authority and both power. So he is capable of accomplishing what he said he had come to do. Without power, if you think about it, without power, his authority wouldn't matter. Now just think about this. If he had no power, it wouldn't matter what rights he had, because ultimately he would become oppressed. It happens all the time to American citizens. We hear about it every day in the news today. It's a a huge problem. People who are without power, we call it privilege, are oppressed. They have rights. They have the same rights that you and I do, but not all of us enjoy them the same way. See, Jesus needed his power to accompany his authority. Without, without authority and power, if he had power but, but, but no authority, if he had no right to do this, if he couldn't look at this demon and rebuke the demon, if he couldn't send Satan on his way, if he, couldn't, if he didn't have a right to stand in authority and command his creation to respond, then it wouldn't matter that he had power because then his power would be worked against us. Then Satan would have come to him and turned his power around on us and no longer would there be good news for us. It would be destructive. It wouldn't be beneficial. And so with his power and with his authority, we have good news. We have hope because he is capable. He is able of accomplishing all that he came to accomplish. Not just for himself. But he can actually provide it for you and for me. He is able to do this for us. We see that already working out over the spiritual realm. And now, we'll see it working out in the physical realm. Let's keep reading. we pick it up in verse 38. And he rose, and he left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. That's Peter, in case you're wondering. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. So here Jesus is. So, so Jesus casts this demon out of the man. After the demon is gone, then Jesus gets up. He leaves the synagogue. It's still the Sabbath. Then Jesus goes with Simon Peter, and Mark tells us that Andrew, James, and John are there with him, and they go to Peter's house, and, and his mother-in-law, Peter's wife's mother, was sick. Luke tells us that she had a 
high fever, or the, the Greek word is megas. It's a great or big fever, but Jesus is greater. He walks into the house. They tell him about the mother-in-law. He goes over to her, and Mark tells us that he takes her by the hand, but Luke tells us that he rebukes the fever. And I don't know, a lot of people think because of the way he writes it here that this fever was a result of, of a demon attack, that, that there was a demon that was causing the fever. I don't think it's absolutely necessary based on the text. I think that could be that she's just sick, right? Sometimes we just get sick. It could have been the work of a demon, but sometimes we just get sick. But he speaks. He, he rebukes it. We see his power flowing through his word. This is something that we see happen over and over again. But in this moment, we find that Jesus has power and authority to heal our sick body and soul. Jesus has power to do this. He is able to make us well. He is able to remove the, the, the consequences of our sin from, from our failing flesh and our falling soul. He is able to do this work. And so he leans over. And he could have said, be well or fever be gone. We don't know. But by his authority and through his power, he heals this woman. And he healed her so completely. He healed her so completely that she immediately got up and began to serve them. Now, you know, as well as I do, if you've ever had a high fever. I told you about my malaria before, right? 104 degrees, I can tell you I'm not serving anybody. You wouldn't either. You, you feel terrible. Your, your joints ache. Your body hurts. I mean, the, the, I, I was so sensitive. Amy teases me about this. My, my body was so sensitive that if the wind blew on me, it caused me to go into these convulsions of chills, and it, my, my hair even hurt. Like everything on me hurt. But she's healed completely. She gets up, starts feeding them food, probably bringing them drink, and maybe even washing their feet. She begins to serve them. Because he heals her so completely. Jesus has the authority to save his people from sin and death. And he has the power to complete the task. We see that authority being expressed over freeing captives and and, and releasing the oppressed and, and healing the sick. This is what he said he came to do. And we see him able to accomplish it. But this is just a couple of people. I mean, surely at some point he kind of runs out of steam, right? Is he really able to go the distance? Is he really able to to do it for everyone? Well, Luke doesn't leave us wondering. When the sun was setting, we pick it up in verse 40. When the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them, and he would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. Again, we see these demons. They know that he's the Christ. They they know that he has authority. They know that he has power. These demons, they're not questioning these things. They're not demanding uh, evidence of these things. They are simply responding to this man who comes in power and authority. But there's this powerful thing that happens. So, so Sabbath ends. The sun sets and Sabbath ends. The way the Jewish people kept time is that their day started in the evening and extended 24 hours to the next evening. So sunset to sunset. It's a little different than us because we sunrise to sunrise. That's it's a day for us. 
But for them, Sabbath started, the, sun, the, the sunset the day before. It carried on through the day. Jesus heals people in the temple, or, or cleanses a man in the temple, and then he heals Peter's mother and his home, and the sun sets and something happens. All of these people who have heard him teach, all these people who have seen and heard of these miracles, as soon as they're free to get up and begin moving about in the, in, in the village, in the town, they begin showing up at Peter's house. And they're bringing with them every sick person they know. Now, I don't know how many people this accounts for, but I'm talking every sick person that is in this village, every sick person that is, that, that, that is represented by the people in this village, every person that's demon-possessed is brought to Jesus, and he casts, them, casts out the demons, and he heals their sick. So in this moment, before Jesus goes to bed, every person that came to him that was ill was made Well, every person that had a demon that came to him was cleansed. The demon was cast out. That is the power that Jesus has. It's not for one or two, but for many. Jesus came to heal the sick and to make us well. He came to defeat the consequences of sin, and he has power to do it, and he has authority to do it. And because he does, we can count on it. We can take that check to the bank. We can trust it for ourselves. And today, this message continues. It it needs to continue resounding in the world. This is the only hope we have. This is the only constant thing that exists today. This is the only place that we can find our confidence. The power and the authority of Christ to do what he came to do. Jesus has authority to save his people from sin and death. And he has the power to complete that task. And it's in knowing the riches of God's authority and power in Jesus Christ that those who are poor in spirit are made spiritually rich. He is not holding back from us. He is not keeping something from us. We are abundantly blessed under his power and authority. We enjoy the the benefits of all that he came to do under his power and authority. I think it's important we point this out just before we move on from this, that, that these people were called to come to him only after he had first come to them. See, we have a habit in the world today of, of, of demanding that everybody come to us. And there's a point that we need to call people to come to Jesus but only after we've first gone to them to find them in the midst of their brokenness, to find them in the midst of their oppression and pain and suffering and captivity. This is a front door for many people to come to the church service, to hear the message preached, to hear God's word professed. But it shouldn't be the first time that people are hearing it. Because together we are his people in this world, able to proclaim this message. Jesus has come. And the only reason you're able to proclaim that message is because he has come and worked his power and expressed his authority on your behalf. So brothers and sisters, let's let's recognize this. Yeah, there's a time to say, come to Jesus, come to him, and and, and we should call people to that, but only after we first, first pointed out that he has come to us. And so we go preaching and proclaiming this message. And we're able to. 
Because Jesus didn't just go to Capernaum where he would be accepted. He didn't just stay there. In fact, as the passage closes out, Jesus didn't just do this for Capernaum, but he made it available for those everywhere. Let's look at it in verse 42. When it was day, so the sun rises. When it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. Mark tells us that he went to a desolate, to a desolate place, to a, to a secluded place that he could pray. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. I mean, who wouldn't, right? We've got Jesus. Let's keep him to ourselves. Let's not let, let's not let go of this. I don't want to see him leave. I, I don't want to. I, I don't want to lose sight of him. I want to. I want to be in his presence. Who who wouldn't be like this? But he said to them, "I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose." You see, in this we see that Jesus has the authority and the power to do this wherever he goes. He has authority and power to free us from oppression. He has authority and power to heal our sick bodies and souls. He has authority and power great enough to save anyone that will come to him. And he has authority and power to do this wherever he goes. I mean, it's no big surprise. It's no, it's no shocking news that they wanted to keep Jesus in their presence, to cling to him. But who has authority? He does. It's not his, it's not, it's not his place to do what they say. It's not his place to, to sub- subject himself to their authority. It's their place to subject themselves to his, to submit under his authority. He came to serve us, but not obey us. And it's a good thing he didn't come to obey us. Because how selfish would we be with his power and with his authority? He he came not to obey us, but to obey his father. Even as he faced the crucifixion, there's a moment where Pilate is saying to him, Hey, I I, I can let you live or I can kill you. Why, Why don't you talk to me? And Jesus recognizes that he has no authority. Pilate has no authority over Jesus except what's given to him from above. See, Jesus didn't rebel against those who were crucifying him because he wouldn't rebel against his father. Jesus has authority to determine what he will do, what he's come to do, and he's got power to make it happen. And so he left the city. Uh, the, 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 the village, the town of Capernaum. But he didn't go so that he could work more miracles. In fact, if you, if you pay attention to what he says, he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. Would he go and, and work more miracles? Absolutely. Absolutely he would. But they would only supplement the message. They weren't the purpose for his going. This message that he went preaching is is preached to us today because it didn't stay in Capernaum. If it had stopped there, if it had stayed there, those few people would have enjoyed its blessing, but so many more would have missed out. He went to preach the good news, and, and he would work miracles along the way. They are important. They add validity to his claims, but but they are not necessary. 
Let me just close with just a couple of application points so that you can kind of draw this in and, and do something, I think, in response. Because of the gospel, we, know, we, we have no reason to live in fear of sin and death. Jesus has power and Jesus has authority. Jesus is capable. And there's a common thread that runs through this whole passage. Mankind is needy. You see, we think we got it. We, we think we got it together. We think we got it figured out, but over and over and over we see it and we'll continue to see it. Every miracle Jesus ever performs is demonstrating to, to us that we are in need. It's all in, always in response to our need. We, we're, we are less powerful. We have less authority than demons. We can't cast them out on our own. We don't have power to fight them by ourselves. But because of the gospel, we have no reason to fear them anymore. We don't have the ability to overcome the temptations that they bring to us by ourselves. We don't have power to overcome the temptations that our flesh brings us on our own. We are needy of salvation. God isn't the one that's needy. We are. Jesus came to us not because God needed us, but because we needed him. We are needy. We are in a desperate situation, and God sent his son to free us from that. And we may not see a lot of demon possessions around like in this passage, or maybe we've just found ways to explain them away. But our hope is, is not in denying the reality of a spiritual war that's raging around us and even against us. Our hope is not in explaining it away or denying that it exists. Our hope has only ever been and only ever will be Jesus. You see, you can deny it, but it doesn't take away the reality of it. You can, you can explain it away, but it doesn't change the reality of it. We are in need of him. We are in need of his deliverance. C.S. Lewis writes this in the Scroop Tape Letters. In the introduction, he writes, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So you either deny them or you study them so much because you think that you've got to have them figured out. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. They just don't want you to look at Jesus. But Jesus is your only hope. We don't have to be afraid to close our eyes and go to bed at night. We don't have to be afraid of of, of the circumstances and situations ahead of us because of the gospel. Jesus' power and authority has been exercised on our behalf and it will accomplish what he intends it to accomplish. Even as we face sickness and death, we have no reason to fear. Jesus has power and authority to conquer it. He has conquered it. He may not feel, heal us physically now, but, but everyone who comes to him will ultimately be healed. Maybe you, maybe you heard about Monty Williams this week. It's a, he is the assistant coach of the Oklahoma City Thunder. It's a, a basketball team there. And his wife, was she, was she died after a car accident, after her body succumbed to the injuries that she sustained in a car accident. Based on the eulogy that Monty Williams gave, I don't know if you've heard it, I would encourage you to go out and look him up and listen to it. It's powerful. Based on the eulogy that Monty Williams shared, his wife Ingrid had, 
had come to Jesus, that she had trusted Jesus. And Jesus could have healed her in that moment. But he didn't, at least not in this life. And she died. But I so appreciated his perspective as he, as he shared his closing and, and was closing out his remarks. He says this, My wife is where we all need to be, and I am envious of that. What a perspective. What a powerful perspective. He understood his purpose. I mean, in fact, he, he calls his kids crumb catchers, and he talks about his reason, God's reason for leaving him here, his purpose here. But he goes on to say, we didn't lose her. When you lose something, you can't find it. I know exactly where my wife is. She wasn't healed here, but she is healed now. He has power and authority to do this for us. Anyone who comes to him has this opportunity, is going to receive this blessing. Her fight against sin has ended. Her life is just beginning. And because of the gospel, we know that there is a day coming when she will stand in her own flesh. Satan and demons vanquish sin completely done over with and completely uh, 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 covered she will stand in her own flesh before her Creator God and see with her own eyes her Savior Jesus and touch Him with her hands and walk in His footsteps. And anyone who comes to Jesus has this same hope and has this same promise, not because they came to Jesus, but because Jesus came and exercised power and authority on our behalf. So please hear me. Hear this call. Come to Jesus. Because Jesus has come to you. Jesus has come and made it possible for you to enjoy the abundance of his blessings, to be freed from your oppression. Hear his call. Because of the gospel, we still have access to Jesus' power and authority. It's unfortunate that so many Christians leave, live spiritually anemic lives. In Christ you have access to the power that spoke the heavens into existence. You have access to the power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father. Because of the gospel, you don't, you're enjoying the benefits of that power, but you have access to that power. And that authority, we have access in the word of God. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. What's the gospel? It is the word of God. It's the good news of God come to save his people. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We have access to the power of God in the Word of God. We have access to the, the power and authority of God in, in prayer. John 4, 14, 13, Jesus is speaking to his apostles. He says, whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask in my name, what he's saying is, whatever you ask under my authority and by my power, this I will do. He is capable of accomplishing. He has authority to accomplish that the Father may be glorified in the Son. It doesn't mean that we get our way. It doesn't mean that we get everything we want. 
we get everything he wants. And what better thing is there to have? What better thing is there to bless us with? What better thing is there to receive but his power and authority to affect the outcome of our lives and the lives of those around us? But yet we live spiritually anemic lives. Let me encourage you, brother, come to Jesus. Saturate yourself in his word, in the gospel, and come to him in prayer, in his authority and in his power, and watch him move. Watch him work. Watch him bless. Finally, there's one last thought. We will either submit to and be blessed by Jesus' power and authority, or we're going to stand opposed to it. There is no middle ground. There's no such thing as Sweden. There's no neutral position. Switzerland, I think. I don't know. I'm no history major. Please come to Jesus to hear this call. We have it available. We can either submit to it and be blessed by it, or we can stand opposed to it. He has come to serve you. He has come and used his power to make a way for you, to bless you fully, to be made spiritually rich, to free you from oppression and captivity, to heal your soul. Trust in him. Submit to him. And be blessed by him. Let's pray. Father, We are needy. We know we're not here because we've got it together. We know we're not here because we in ourselves are righteous. We know we're not here because we have figured things out. We're the ones in need. And in power and by your authority, you have come and you have met that need. Help us now live all of our lives coming to you. Help us now living, live our lives calling others to come to you. How we need you. As I sit here and think, Father, about the people in this room and about the circumstances of life, I don't think you, I, I don't think you need to convince us of our need. I think everybody in this room knows it. Would you convince us of your power and authority to meet that need? Would you convince us? Would you make us confident? Would you make us certain that we would quit looking in all the wrong places and looking for all the wrong things and we would come to you, Jesus? I ask these things in your name, by your power and with your authority. I ask them. Amen.